Hello, 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 everyone. This is Thinking to Think, the critical thinking podcast where we analyze topics such as civics, history, culture, philosophy, politics, and current events through a critical thinker's lens. I am your host, the social studies educator, Michael Antonio Aponte, also known as Mr. A. Every Sunday, we will have a new episode within these topics, as well as occasional special guests and recorded lectures with my students. So please subscribe, share, listen, and let's build a critical thinking society together. I always love introducing this topic to my students by asking the question, how would you like to get what you want? I usually get a what or a huh or nah, I don't believe you. But this question is my segue into rhetoric. See, critical thinkers need to understand how to influence to avoid being easily influenced. We see rhetorical strategies in elections, the news, commercial advertising, government, media, and organizations. And the best way to understand it, you first need to define and learn how it is used on you. Rhetoric is described by the famous philosopher of ancient Greece, Aristotle. His death was around 322 BC. That's how long ago it was. And to put it in in a bigger perspective, he was also the mentor and teacher to Alexander the Great. Now, Aristotle described it in three terms, pathos, logos, and ethos. Pathos is the emotional appeal, pulling the emotional strings. Logos is the logical appeal, facts, logic, etc. Ethos appeals to credibility, convincing the audience or the person you're trying to sell to that you can be trusted. Now, most advertisements and propaganda will use a minimum of two out of the three, three being the most effective yet most difficult to pull off. But I want to examine a few and give you an idea. So for this one, I want you to close your eyes. Close them and imagine this. Imagine your favorite athlete. They are performing at their greatest. They're working vigorously. Sweat is dripping down to the floor. They look exhausted and yet they're still fighting. And they had to stop. And as they're breathing heavily from their heavy practice, they grab a drink. It's an advertisement for a sports drink, which they hold conveniently showing you the logo. You have experienced ethos and possibly pathos um, if you appreciate the sport or athlete. Now, let me give you another example for those that are not into sports. A beautiful sexy celeb are in, they're in their home they're wandering around just aimlessly in their mansion and they look lonely and sad they take their phone out and begin to open up an application that you happen to see and they're smiling as they're swiping right and then the question comes could you be the next one now, 
I just made that up, but imagine the the power that something like that has on someone that is single and happens to love that particular actor. Um, let me give you another one, but more of a historical uh, text. And this is in the 1930s and 40s. This was an extremely popular and normal strategy used uh, to support the industry. A cigarette company publishes an ad in a magazine stating four out of five physicians or four to five dentists approve this company over the other. This is an example of logos and ethos because the seller is not only trusted, but they are stating a quote unquote fact. And you can also experience uh, the 1930s and 40s a little step further on the rhetoric when you see films, the black and white films, the protagonist embracingly, you know, kisses the love interest and then it fades to black. And then before you know it, you see them in the bedroom and they look like they're getting themselves together. And then the lover asks their protagonist if they can have a cigarette or if they have one. Now, I'm going to give you another example that may trigger some of you. And that's okay, because that's what we're here for. An elected official describes a group of Hispanic people who are part of an organized crime syndicate as animals for their cruelty to other people. The media begins an outcry of rage. Some reporters are crying, stating, how could he say that Hispanics are animals? They invite experts to discuss how deplorable this elected official is and the correlation between Hispanics and animals. This is an example of all three forms of rhetoric. Now, how is the third example all three? Well, simply, they used pathos by having emotional outbursts. We are humans, and most humans with proper social skills react to seeing other human Emotions, Like when you see someone crying, you sympathize. When you see someone happy, it may elevate you. Even if you don't know the person, it just might happen. You know, these are social cues that are very natural to many humans. And when you see that on TV, it gives a reaction. Now, in Logos, they stated the truth that the elected official did say Hispanics, animals. Now, mind you, the pause. They did say Hispanic animals, Hispanic animals, but neglected and manipulated all other facts, which would have changed the context. And finally, ethos. They invite law professors, social scientists, and civil rights activists to endorse the claims of the quote, Hispanics, animals if you only observe the latter most would be outraged and as a hispanic myself i would be too and this is where critical thinking comes in critical thinkers won't pass judgment until they get the full context and conclude if someone tried to manipulate them other organizations have used rhetoric to form names of plans with entirely different agendas one historical example is the final solution, which was the Nazi Germany's 
plan for a, quote, better future and solve the German problem. Now, the final solution was a plan to exterminate an entire race of Jewish people. And thankfully, they failed. To that extent, they still managed to kill 2.7 million people. Another example would be the Great Leap Forward. The Great Leap Forward. The Chinese Communist Revolution that brought the deaths of 20 to 46 million people. These are only two of many examples that come to mind in history. But I want to redirect and analyze more to the present and the political and civil and, and civil uh, matters. Around 9-11, uh, shortly after 9-11, now I'm from New York. Um, 9-11 was, as of this recording, was just a few days ago, and it always hits home to me. Uh, I was raised in Woodside Houses, which is projects, and... On the roof of my building, I was able to see the entire skyline of Manhattan on the east side. But the towers were used to always stand out. And to, to, to give you more of a context of how close proximity, if you take the subway, it was approximately 7 to 10 minutes, if I remember correctly. But if you walked it, you can get there under an hour, which was walking distance. I mean, it wasn't bad um, on a nice day. You just walk over the Queensboro Bridge, um, which I think the name changed, but that's another story. Um, but I was fresh out of basic. I was a cadet, and I was, I remember just trying to catch up with sleep, and then that's when the phone call happened. And then everything just spiraled. Like, I remember hearing fighter jets flying over. Okay. That's that, that was, you know, quite the moment, an experience for me. And it wasn't, I wasn't scared. I was just more, I was very angry at the situation. Like most Americans. And that leads me to the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act was signed 45 days, approximately 45 days after the um, the, the incident 9-11. However, it was created, I believe, a few years before 9-11 happened. It was just sitting on a desk. So um, that's one of those moments that never let a... Um, never let a... What's it? Disaster go to waste? Um, but this massive bill, the Patriot Act, and there was a time where everyone was patriotic. We had American flags everywhere. And the Patriot Act was a major surveillance overhaul to monitor and record Americans without a warrant. You don't need a judge. It was giving, I don't want to say unlimited power, but a significant amount of power to the federal agencies and the politicians. And 
mean, we look back on it now. I mean, it's Monday Night Quarterback it now, and it's ridiculous. You know, we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that was signed. But we did. Fear, anger, all those things just aligned. And then Patriot Act came about. Um, now it's under a different name, but, you know, the game is still the same. Now, what about organizations? Organizations use rhetoric for their names despite having different agendas. Why would an organization use a name to influence your emotions? Why would you hide an agenda behind a name that has nothing to do with your mission? And these are questions you need to answer for yourself. But what I believe from observation is the simple fact that they do not want you to know the truth to gain using your emotions to earn credibility and to gain power a perfect example is uh, Antifa uses a they use a lot of totalitarian tactics that I've seen and that I've researched in history which I find ironic being that fascism is a form of totalitarianism it's just their version, they, you know, but they're anti-fascist. Um, in any case, this is also seen online. Think of how clickbait on social media works and uses emotions to entice you to click on such images and headlines that read, you will never believe what this famous celeb did or... I can't believe how easy it is to make this much money. There is an immediate call to action to click on the on that particular link. And once you click on that link, they have automatically earned advertisement revenue and all you have received is nonsense information. This is why it is important to use logic prior to supporting rhetoric and words with face value. Unless you take the time to analyze the why and find logic, hopefully through deductive reasoning, and I'll explain deductive reasoning in a moment, but if you do this, the facts you find will support your truth if they are aligned. Now, I went over deductive reasoning in a previous episode, but I'll give you the real quick example. All humans are mortal. Mr. A is human, therefore Mr. A is mortal. Or A plus B equals C, C minus, therefore C minus B equals A. Um, yeah. You have to be aware of words and how people use rhetoric to state a claim. Look at the power of words used by the Nazis in order to attempt to annihilate a race or how communism created the desolation of millions of people. It becomes easy to persuade groups of people to do things when you use beautiful words to do it. 
thanks for listening to Thinking to Think with Mr. A. If you like our show and want to know more, check out my website in the description or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, whichever platform you heard this episode. Please do not forget to share and spread the word. Join us next week where we will continue the fight to build a critical thinking society. Thank you and have a beautiful week. Thank <laughs> you.